you create urgency by creating wins, right? If we are being like back to basics, like we seem to be, right? Then we have to get back to people don't buy things to lose money or lose time on them, right? <laughs> they buy things right. because they're because it's it's like machine thinking, right? It's it's a way of getting more use out of the same amount of energy, right? Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Scott McTaggart with us, and we're going to be discussing how to craft an emotionally riveting sales pitch. Scott, welcome to the show. Mr. Benson, a pleasure. And so Scott, Scott is a pitch doctor. He's a veteran management consultant, a business advisor, and an expert communicator. And he's the new sales director at Eagle Dream Technologies. Um, and I always love a company name with an animal in it. Very memorable, I, I think. Um, I like the ones also that incorporate like a color. Like I always said, like if I was going to do it over again, it would be like yellow eagle, right? Yeah, I like, like that. Like bronze bull. I don't know. Like mm -hmm. if, if there's anybody looking to launch something, call me. I got ideas. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just, it's, you want a, a noun, I think is the key, you know, a noun with some kind of uh, adjective that makes sense with that noun and hopefully describes your business. I, I think the best business name ever was um, TaskRabbit because yeah. what, are, what are you getting done? You're getting tasks done and um, how are you going to, how, how are you going to get it done? Like a rabbit would do them fast. <laughs> Look, like I'm already like chomping at the bit here. Like this gets right into something I tell people all the time about this. I have this thing I call like the inevitable question, right? I have this thing I try to weave in all the time where, and I, I respect you because you've actually done this job and you know sort of where I'm coming from. And it's about listening, not talking. You know, we were, even before you hit the record button, we started talking about that. Um, but sometimes you have to sort of help that along by setting the customer up to ask a question. And I'm sorry, if your company name was Bronze Bull, you've already set up an inevitable question, which is, hey, where'd the name come from, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and you've now been given permission to start talking, which is sort of what that inevitable question concept is all about. Yeah. Um, and, and good naming is interesting. Um, so Bob Moore, who's the CEO of Eagle Dream, gets the, where did Eagle Dream come from? all the time. And uh, yeah, same kind of a thing, it, you know, like it is a legitimate, like he doesn't come at it from the same sort of semi nefarious place that I come from. He looks at it as like, this is something he always wanted to name a company if he ever owned one, just for whatever reason, he just loved the sound of it. He was an Eagle Scout, he was into Eagles. Like there's this whole, mm -hmm. I'm gonna get the story wrong, but like he knew a long time ago that when he started something, he wanted to call it that. Meanwhile, I just like the part where it gives the customer a question that they can ask that I kind of know where I want to take the answer. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also, if they've asked that question, it just make, and gotten it answered, it makes the name stick in their head forever. Like, I, I don't, I don't think people forget, you know, Badger Maps because they're like, oh, why Badger Maps? And I'm like, well, I went to University of Wisconsin and um, and salespeople are kind of like badgers, you know, they're aggressive and tenacious. And, uh, and then there's, there was the honey badger video was one of the most popular videos, uh, you know, when I named the, the company. And so it, uh, it was just 
the 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 badger as an animal enjoyed enjoyed a great uh, marketing presence at the time. And I'm in Pittsburgh. Okay, when you say Wisconsin Badgers, we think Badger Bob Johnson. Okay, like we think the hockey coach. Um, oh, okay. No, no, but Wisconsin Bad. So University of Wisconsin Badgers. The uh, you know just the, the that's the mascot of the whole school, the Badgers. So Bob Johnson was the coach of the Badgers. And oh, then when okay. he went when he went to the NHL, he brought the same exact methodologies that he used at your alma mater to win championships, right? And Badger Bob is the reason that we had the very first championship here in Pittsburgh in hockey. So yeah, ah, he is like a okay. revered figure here in Western Pennsylvania. I did not know that. I, I knew popular uh, hockey was really popular in Western Pennsylvania because it's kind of a a Midwest place. You know, there's a lot yeah. there's a lot in common with Canada, the Midwest, and and Western Pennsylvania. Yes, we're humid Toronto. <laughs> balmy, just yeah, balmy. <laughs> lots of technical talent, right? Like lots of like AI and robotics people. But you know, the like the humidity is always a little bit higher than you were hoping. So, <laughs> especially in the summertime. Man. The, True uh, facts, my friends. Well, you know, so I, I got about halfway through your introduction before we uh, before we derailed ourselves, which uh, is just fine. <laughs> but I want so much for that. Uh, listen more than you talk, Scott. Good job. <laughs> no, it's my fault. You know, I, I I couldn't. I eagle dream technologies. I couldn't. I, I had to sink sink my talons into that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it's important to note that that Scott also runs the podcast Pitchworks where his guests discuss their disruptive new businesses and use those disruptions to uncover universal truths about how to communicate valuable ideas to each other. Very, very cool stuff. Um, so that's, that's the completed bio and background on Scott here. Okay, so all, all the conditions of my rider have been satisfied. The brandy glass with the brown M&Ms, the full bio, we're solid now. Excellent. No, like, like you do, you describe the podcast, right? Um, I, I'm a big fan of using that new idea, the disruptive idea, to talk about the kinds of things you and I are going to talk about today. New disruptive ideas sort of have like this uncharted place in your mind where you have to look at them with fresh eyes. And then we start getting down to like, what is this job we do? What is selling? What is marketing? What is communication and pitching and expressing value to other people? And when you have to sort of explain something that is not a market, not a product, not anything that you can like tell someone where to buy it, that's when you start flexing those muscles again about like, well, what are the core con you know, concepts of selling a thing to a, you know, to a potential client? And it's funny when people have something disruptive or innovative, a lot, of, not a, especially if it's something that did not exist before, it, it, it feels difficult to sell and it feels strange. But I find myself when I'm, and I'll, I'll get like, uh, I've got relationships with, with a bunch of like uh, accelerators and, and I'll like Stanford's accelerator, Stardex, because I, I went through that one. And, and, um, and so I'll go in and teach them, to, uh, teach the, 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 the people at the companies that are, that are trying to be incubated, I'll teach them sales strategies and skills. And, and it's, uh, it's always 
a getting back to the basics, right? It's, it's about, you know, it's, it's teaching them the blocking and tackling of sales. And because they're such disruptive and innovative types, but they don't, they usually don't have any sales background or sales, you know, No, they're skills. almost always product people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They're engineers, yeah. they're product people. And, uh, and they, they always want to like innovate around the, like the, the core, you know, tenets of sales. And I'm always like, no, 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 we're going to have to do it this way. This is, this is important. Like this is how, <laughs> because if you don't do it this way, then, and so it's, it's more bringing them back down to, you know, how to sell me this pen type things, right? Like really now, like the basics. And so I'm so happy you said that, Steve, this is a conversation that I think a lot of people need to hear, right? There's, so for, for a couple of years there, I, I focused on nothing but those innovative startups as a consulting and growth practice for consulting, uh, for how to build your sales operation, marketing operation, how to tie everything to operations so that they're not necessarily adversarial with, another, with, with each other. And yes, when you find people that are disruptors, they tend to try to disrupt everything, right? And that is very hard on those people that need to remain tethered to the world, that there are rules, that there is a concrete right way in at least part of this business, like accounting is like this. Like you can't disrupt mm -hmm. accounting and be like, yep. sorry, I decided <laughs> to move all the debits over to the credits. That's not a thing. Nope. Nope. Um, and sales works in very much the same way. There is, in fact, a right way. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I remember that doesn't mean one, I, but... There's a wrong way that, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I, I remember several um, uh, very successful software businesses who were very innovative, innovating away sales and saying, oh, Slack did this, Atlassian did this, they, you know, saying, oh, we don't have a sales team. We, we've done away with sales. It's all self-serve. We have some, you know, customer success people that will help people on board, et cetera. But we have no, self, no, no sales team, no sales people. And, it, and every time I would hear, hear something like that, I'd be like, that's because, you, okay, yeah, you can get away with that because you have a really cool product and it's really popular right now. But I mean, you cannot have a sales team, but if so, you had one, it would, you would just sell more and at a higher price point and it would be, it would totally pay for itself and more. And sure enough, a few years later, every time, every company that started that way, they all end up with a sales team because they figure that out. So give me a sense are we on a pg show are we on a pg-13 show like tell me where no, i land here no i mean if you want to go r you can go r i mean i'd say okay i, I, stay, I would stay away from x but i would go r <laughs> all right that's cool every time somebody tells me that they've decided to get rid of the sales team or that they don't have a sales function or that they're you know sales is dead i invite them to fuck all the way off <laughs> um yeah because at the end of the day, the noise level is higher than it's ever been. The, high, the, the number of people trying to reach your prospect is so high as to be ridiculous. There are people out there that are right now literally getting 600, 700 inbound sales messages per day. And if you think that this is going to be some sort of like self-service window, if you build it, they will come build a better mousetrap and they'll beat a path to your door. You're dreaming. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely dreaming. And, and what it comes down to is having a sales team and having people help you to connect the dots and make your life easier and actually prioritize your problems and walk you through it as a Sherpa is a luxury that a, 
an executive buyer seeks out. And they're not going to be done without it. Yeah, nobody wants to make their own food. They want to go to a restaurant, yeah. right? We do it because it's not sustainable to have a chef in our houses for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. But it'd be super dope if we did. Um, nobody wants to buy their office supplies on a checkbox website, but the commoditization of that industry has gotten to such a point that it's like, well, maybe the way to do it is just to have a self-service window right? And you're offloading a certain amount of labor onto the customer and the customer has accepted that labor. But I promise you, if the customer could just dial, you know, one 900 mix a lot and say whatever it was that they needed to a person who would handle the data entry, they'd be on that so fast, right? Yeah. It is, it is an exchange of inconvenience for cost and what can I get away with in my environment and how scrutinized will I be? But at the end of the day, we all want a valet park. At the end of the day, we would all rather have a chef make us our food, right? And the idea that people want to buy enterprise software or, you know, power drills or whatever themselves with a cut sheet, that's, that's a dream. And it, it's, it's one of these things where executives today are busy, right? And, uh, you know, there's 200 things on the to-do list and you've got to help me, if I'm buying something from you, you've got to help me, um, prioritize your thing and show me how easy it is to get this. You know, it's your thing is number 10 on my list right now. I'd love to get it done, but things keep hopping. Little fires keep popping up and hopping in yep. at number two and three above you. And so you've got to help walk me through how to get that from a 10 to done because you know, it's, it, it could sit at 10 for a year and a half. And, and it so, has many I, times before and he is out of shame for it. It's absolutely. just, it's, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it's just, people are busy, right? I mean, I like, uh, yeah. And, and on the sales pitch thing, which is closely connected here, like I eat between emails and in mails on LinkedIn and messages, there is someone full and, and I don't run a big company, right? It's a, it's a midsize company, but I literally have someone full time answering messages of that nature so yeah. in, in mails and all this stuff because it they just pile in and some of them they all have to be directed right some of them are leads that i have to pass to the sales team some of them are customer inquiries that that like from our you know people that are already using our products that i have to direct yep. to their to their customer success rep some of them are journal you know journalism inquiries or needing something and it, they, and a lot of them are just are, are you know sales stuff or networking stuff automated or, you know. outreach for people who don't know how to do a, the matching function of sales that's absolutely true right yeah exactly and so it, like it's but 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 bottom line it's really you you need to have it's it's impossible to automate this stuff because if that's all you're doing then you're you're just not going to get it done i think but this is this is an excellent entree into the emotionally resonant pitch that you know i i advocate people for yeah if let's a thing talk about that. if a thing can elicit urgency it moves out of that that 10 spot right you know, in your example, you were saying like, okay, well, you know, I, a bunch of little fires come up and, you know, you end up like further down the road. Like, you know, it's, you're on not just the back burner, but the far back part of the burner. All right. So how did you end up there? 
Well, there's 18 different ways that you end up back there. But one of them is that the problem is not causing enough pain, or you're not making it easy enough to scratch off the list, or nobody above them in the organization cares enough about this. There's, I mean, you can make this list. Like there's, these are not the only elements on the list. But once you take this empathy that you and I are participating in and actually use it for your own professional development, you start to realize that like the person on the other side of the table has just as much sort of capacity to performance ratio as you do, right? Like people's jobs are just about as hard as they can handle on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like the CFO is sitting around just like chomping on cigars and watching you know, reruns on AMC, right? That's all I'm the doing. CFO, <laughs> I mean, that's a solid plan if you can get away with it. Uh, everyone's job is roughly about the size and shape it needs to be because we've learned over how many cycles that this is what a person can handle and this is you know, this is how we fill a work week. And I really hate when people come to me and they say like, oh, well, you know, how do I create urgency? Like what a skeevy sentence, right? Because what you're saying is like, how do I make it seem like it's like this is worse for the customer than it is, right? That's, and I know they mean no disrespect by it. Like I've said it, like let's, you know, I'm in the glass casting stones over here. I get it. Right. Um, but I don't, whenever I focus on that conceptually, I, I, I realize like the problem is not about creating urgency. It is about getting a higher priority ranking than you got by default. And this is where it becomes things like which of a customer's priorities are you appealing to? Right. And if you're just reciting the same features or, 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 you know, bullet points from the cut sheet, you deserve to lose. You're playing the game at the wrong level, right? You're thinking about what your cut sheet, your sales slick, your, you know, your marketing writer thought was going to be important to persona number three, instead of what is Steve Benson, CEO of Badger Maps, what is Steve motivated by, right? Maybe Steve is motivated by something aspirational for his company, right? I think if, if there's one common thread between all the sort of like emotional and inspiring and movement type uh, pitches that I like to do, I appeal to people's better angels. And I like to say things that they know are good for them, but then also I like to make it as convenient as possible, right? So I, I appeal to things like, Steve, and, and I mean this sincerely, like you come across to me as a person who is like a legitimately well-intentioned person trying to make the world a better place, right? It's one of the reasons why I enjoy talking to you is because you don't throw off that sort of like, I would have been a criminal if I thought I could have gotten away with it kind of a vibe. Right. <laughs> good. Good. Um, I, I try to. I try to throw that off. That's good. That, that, I mean, just as long as you stick to brand. That's all. I'm, stick to the brand. You know. Um, but you aspire to much more than that, 
right? Not being in jail is hardly an aspiration, right? So like, what's the next level that Steve wants? Well, maybe, you know, Steve is sitting here looking at it going like, you know, I really wish people could see a victory that clearly was mine, right? Like I want, and I, and this is a bit where I start again to employ that sort of empathy. And I, and I start, you know, asking about sort of like, what would I want if I was Steve? Right. And I have to believe that you would love to have a testimonial that goes something like this. I really started knocking my quota out of the park and I can trace it back to the day I started using Badger. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and this is the same thing I do when I speak in front of a group or whatever. I think about the outcome I'm looking for, right? This is a great exercise that, that you could do that's actually really, really simple. Start with what outcome do you wanna put into that other person's head? Like, what do you, what's the thing you want them to say when they part ways with you, right? And I do this religiously when I speak to a group because it is literally the only way I can focus about what I want to talk about. I'm like, okay, when you're pushing that, that bar on the exit door, what's the thing I want you to say to the person that you came with? And what I want people to say most of all when they leave a, a you know, seminar that I gave is, wow, I'm really energized that I want to run through a wall right now. Right? Like I could just, I feel like I can just go attack my job. Right? So for you to get a testimonial that says, I can trace my success back to when I started using Badger, that's perfect utopian outcome, mm -hmm. right? And then you can work backwards from that and say, okay, what's the thing that I can do in my pitch to actually help them see that this is doable and possible and I'm super invested in it? And you say like, look, I want you, and this is something I would you know, just sort of advise you as, and your team at Badger. Why not start telling people to mark the day on their calendar when they start using Badger and pay attention to the results? Because if your product actually does what it says, and I've seen your product, I know what it does, there's no way it doesn't pan out. Now what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for that great testimonial and the customer can see that you are willing to live with the data output. And, and data is, is one of those places that you can find that emotional resonance, right? Yeah, it's Look, funny. When, I know how this is going to go. When we do get a testimonial, I'll uh, like we'll, we'll kind of prep the person, and that's exactly what we ask them to do. We'll be like, "Hey, you know, we're you know in this testimonial and in this case study that we're writing on you, we're trying to like help people understand what kind of results they'll get. So if you could, yeah. if you could look at the numbers for like things like meetings and sales and like things that." measure whether whether you you're moving things through the pipeline and focusing on the right people if you have met however you measure that in your company could you could you look at the numbers before we do the the interview for your case study here and and try to try to see if there's any patterns from before or after and it, it and that's, that's that's exactly what we try to get them to do because we we want to get they won't people don't necessarily think about it like, Oh, that was the start date. And now this is, this is what happened. Like they it's, you know, and there's often a million things going on. And if you're like, Oh, do you, people don't even remember when they started with something, right? It's like, of course, like because you ago. don't expect to be celebrating it later. You yeah. expect it to go kind of okay. 
Yeah, so I think what you said is what I th- what I think you said is really really important here. So when you're trying to um, when you're pitching to your prospects and you, you it's you really want to appeal to their emotions and you could appeal to negative emotions or you could appeal to positive emotions and and then and there you talked about the negative ones a little you know like things you know you could you can go negative and we, and we could talk. I about can make you, somebody be afraid. Yeah, you can go fear, uncertainty doubt doubt you know, bring it home you have to go full flood if you mention one you have to mention the whole package yeah <laughs> and uh so you, you could appeal to their you know their their greed or you know their what their pride or whatever right there's all these negative things you've talked about and you're saying it's way better when you're trying to pitch to someone and to try to tap into their emotions to tap into the the positive emotions that when uh, you know their 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 aspirations of of doing better or creating value, so I think that's this is a super important concept that I don't think is necessarily intuitive for people. Yeah, it's think, not mainstream. Nobody talks about giving your customer success. If anything, right? the mainstream thought is the opposite of what you're saying. People people say appeal to the fud, appeal like that, like go after that. That's how you close the deal. You're saying appeal to their angels not their devils well but again how did that thing end up number 10 for a year let's go back to where we like our original level set which was you could be in 10th position for a really long time Mm -hmm. now you can be a jerk and you can attack the executive that left it down in the 10th spot for so long and say well, that person is a poor time manager, or that person doesn't care about you as a sales rep and just, just, just you know, wasting your time, jerking your chain. We all, I mean, we all have slang for this, right? Mm-hmm. I posit that this executive who is just drowning in the noise level can't get to the signal above the noise, right? It's just tired. It is really easy to come in as the newbie with a clean slate and no, no backlog and nothing in your inbox and go, oh, I'm going to have a Zen-like focus on prioritization, right? Come back to me after 12 years. Come back to me after 12 years and tell me that everything has been properly prioritized and, and ordered accordingly, right? I'll bet you my house that that's not the case because it's really difficult mental discipline to get that done. That's always my save, my very favorite part about leaving every job is just taking that to-do list and wadding it up and throwing it in the garbage. It's like can. taking ten thousand pounds <laughs> off your back. I I remember le- leaving I, I, I uh, leaving every, like that. That's the best part of leaving a job. Unfortunately, when you when you found and are and run a company, they, I never get to leave. I'm just literally handcuffed True. to it forever. But so there's there's no escape. My to do list will never go away. But but yeah, with with uh, with every job I've ever left, I've just been like, wow, it's so nice that I will. I was never going to get to the bottom of this list, but now I don't have to. Let me just throw that away. <laughs> so twelve years is not an arbitrary number. Like legit, I quit a job after 12 years and that's exactly where my head was at when I said it. Like I think about how I felt that day and I knew I needed to leave about a year earlier because yeah. I was getting to the point where I didn't care if things were prioritized. Mm-hmm. Because once you realize that like the grass never stays mowed, <laughs> it affects your, your enthusiasm for mowing it. You know, like you're, you're, you're sitting there going like, oh, I'm just gonna, doesn't matter what order I do, I'm in, right? 
I'm gonna. It's it's Groundhog Day. Sonny and Cher will be singing in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. and that's when you need to get out. And I knew that, right? Yeah. But but that's how you end up in the ten slot, right? And, and for a really long time, it's not necessarily because what you're saying is garbage. It's because it failed to wiggle its way up the list. And again, if you start thinking about giving your customer success, that might be the first time they've had the feeling of success, if only just because. They haven't thought about setting a goal that they can reach and, and introducing a feeling of success into their day in a really long time. And the old maxim, this goes back a hundred years, is like nothing succeeds like successful. It's like, it's like I had a really good sales day today. Like I'm, I'm coming to you supercharged up right now. I feel like I'm 10 feet tall. The, the feeling of success creates additional success, right? And your customer a lot of times doesn't feel like they're getting that. They don't feel like they're getting victories. They feel like they're just narrowly avoiding having the mob tear them to pieces outside their office door, right? Like there's just the barbarians are at the gates and they're, where's my email and sign off on my time off. And, you know, we owe money to these people. And, you know, these two employees are fighting with each other and we have to do a mandatory training. This is not what they signed up for. This is not why they got into this career. And it's a real drag after a period, right? Giving them that success, that feeling of success is one of the ways that you could appeal to that better angel and really feel like, you know, again, they'd love that. They would absolutely, if you can give them a victory and not a victory that has to feel like it's the trials of Hercules, like make it easy for them, right? Make it so that they can have a success that everyone knows is theirs like, man, Steve, I'm really glad you're running this department. High five. That's fantastic, right? And this kind of leads into, you know, another exercise I would tell people to do, which um, it's hard to get these habits. You have to build them. But you'll notice when I'm talking to you about sort of what I want people to say and whatnot, features barely make their way into the conversation. Mm-hmm. I do not care about features at all, nor does your customer. They don't buy the iPhone because it has the feature they wanted. I swear to God, that's like one time that's ever happened where they're like, well, I need the iPhone because I'm really, it's really important that I have iMessage. Shut up. <laughs> so, what, so why do they buy it if not for the features, right? They buy it because of uh, familiarity because of fitting in with other people because of their identity which is a huge thing does a does a person like me buy a thing like this right that is core to every purchase that's ever been made and you want to hear a really weird crooked way i get people into the right frame of mind here steve um are you into women do you like women generally yeah do you subscribe to Maxim Magazine then? I assume you do. I don't subscribe to any magazines. Wait, you don't subscribe to Maxim Magazine? You just said a minute ago that you're into women. That's true. Because nobody wants to be the guy that gets Maxim Magazine, okay? Because it's skeevy as all hell. That's gross, right? Mm-hmm. But as a sales rep, that's kind of what people do. They're like, well, I'm- you say you like women, but you won't buy my Maxim magazines, right? <laughs> There's this whole identity layer. This is much thicker than the, than the supposed need or, or, or pain that you're solving, right? Which is like, no, a person like me doesn't buy that. 
You're right. Like, well, you know, I think you should because you know you totally said that you're a you know heterosexual man. And, you know, I'm selling Maxim magazine here, and we're giving twenty five percent off. <laughs> that would be the a identity sales job right now. The, the salesman for Maxim magazine is definitely in trouble. Hopefully, I'm making it harder. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> but but you know, I, I I use that as an example because I think it clearly illustrates that identity wall that a lot of you don't even realize are crashing into. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you and I grew up with people saying nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, which right. was the same wall, right? Mm -hmm. When they go and they talk to other CIOs or whatever the role was at the time, CTO, VP of MS, whatever, MIS rather, um, identity was playing a role. You might have had 50% off with the similar but not the same to IBM but their identity was tied into that IBM, mm -hmm. right? And it had well, nothing to do with the features. And I feel like today with CRM, for example, that's Salesforce, right? Like people buy it even, I've seen so many companies buy it when it really wasn't the best fit for them because the, the purchaser was ultimately risk averse and, and didn't want to buy anything except for that one. And yes, yeah, they just, they, Salesforce definitely has that halo. It's a halo around the brand. It's, mm -hmm. it's an identity play which is why you hire not just campaign marketing people, but brand marketing people, right? Your mm -hmm. brand halo is how you get to that level, right? And yeah, if you're a sales rep who's like, well, you know, I don't know why you're wasting all that money on IBM, you're gonna lose because mm -hmm. their identity is tied to it, right? So here's the exercise, right? Don't tell me what, tell me why, okay? Nobody cares what. There are, there are cash-strapped customers who are like trying to buy the cheapest possible thing. Those are not necessarily who I'm talking about here. I assume that you're somewhere in the mid-market of your industry. I assume that your customer is somewhere in, your mid in the mid-market of their industry where their ability to afford and your ability to match pricing are relatively somewhere in that middle bell curve bit of the graph, right? And you got to tell the why. Right, that is again a great place to um, to mine that emotional resonance, that emotionally impactful part of your pitch. When you're telling your story, this is where you start talking about like your vibe, like why are you doing what you're doing. Like Badger could very easily take all this information about you know who's selling to whom, and then sell it to the competitor, but you chose not to. That is an ethical value, right? That you don't take enough credit for. That the data that the company is actually aggregating is secure from its users' competitors. You don't share it. You're not trusting the wrong party, right? It is a holy covenant between you and the Badger user, right? That yeah. the Coke rep doesn't have to worry that you're gonna sell his data to, Pe to Pepsi. Right? For sure, yeah, and it, it's contractual with us. I mean, just, and that's but it's not in your pitch, is my point, right? Like, right. and when you start telling the why, right? Like, why you versus having somebody homebrew or going to some brand you don't know? Like, look, I'm here. You can call me anytime. I have a person sorting through my emails. Apparently, you know, if you think I've ever done you wrong, let me know. But I wrote it in the contract that your data is really important for me to protect. Mm -hmm. Now. You're telling me the why, and I start finding out who it is I'm thinking about doing business with. 
way more than I'm figuring out about drop-down menus, which is the bit I care about. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and how from, do you, from, how let, do you, let me just bring that to a point to make that a little bit more actionable before you go to the next question, oh, okay, which, okay. which is just, if you're not sure about that, start just reading through the things that your product, the people like about it and ask, how did it end up there? Start asking your customers, why do they pick you versus somebody else? But don't settle on what. It's, it's back to the whole thing about sales reps making life easier and better and whatever. It's, it's about identifying sort of what it is that actually motivated you to move out of that 10th spot on somebody's priority list. Mm -hmm. so it's, Sorry to step the, on you there. I just No, 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 absolutely. So it's the why that finds out what the emotional, motiva motiv emotional motivators are that drive a prospect to behave. Um, how do you... How do you discover, how do you, what, what questions do you ask or what preparation can you do for, uh, to, w before you meet with a prospect to discover uh, what success means to your customer, to discover what their why is before you're having that meeting? So there's, there's a couple different prongs to that. The first is your marketing group a lot of people confuse sales and marketing, and that's a shame. Marketing done right is broad global intelligence on, again, like a persona, like a general concept of the buyer, right? And in order to have good marketing, you have to have done enough customer discovery, interviews, research, you know, like a lot of these kinds of tell me what you buy, tell me why you buy it, you know, those kinds of things. And it gets matricized and, you know, we squeeze information out of both ends to, to, to get insights. So that's the first thing, sort of understanding, like, who is this product designed around from that product management, marketing, customer discovery, first blush. Understanding that is something a lot of reps just completely skip over. They think marketing is BS. They think they already understand the product. And frankly, you're just doing yourself a disservice and making your job a lot harder. The second thing is stop freaking asking closed-ended questions, okay? Like this thing where you're, you're so hyper time efficient that you don't try to get to know your customer. Like I'm glad that it makes you feel like the Terminator or something, but you're losing and I'm laughing. Okay, because I'm scooping that money up. And I ask open-ended, fun questions like, all right, be honest with me. Tell me what it's like to work inside this company. Tell me what it's like to have your company as a client. Right? And they go, what do you mean? The inevitable question. Uh, and you say, well, you know, some people like really adopt change quickly, for example. Would you think that's you? Right? Now we're getting into a, a good human interaction, a proper relationship that will pay off, right? Where they get what they want and you start asking those kinds of things. Hey, just out of curiosity, tell me, when you guys buy tech, what does that process look like? And that's a, that's a lovely question. I'm figuring you guys have a budget and just fair warning, I'm gonna ask for it before the end of this meeting. But before I ask that, I'm curious, how did you determine what the budget should be? Open-ended question. And then you're like, okay, well, Ralph over in this department over here said this, and Inez in this other department said that, right? That's how we figure this out, is 
Well, that means these two talk, and that means they're working together. And the fact that they're working together shows a certain amount of commitment. And the fact that they're committed to this tells me that I'm not wasting my time. And I just took my sales force percentages from 10% to 12% on this lead, right? Right. Um, <laughs> a little calculus in the back of our mind. <laughs> right. Much like the NFL, it is a game of inches. Um, so, so I like to ask open-ended questions. And I don't know what sales funnel you use. I, I like to use one that is super simple for clients because I allow them to then complicate it as much as they want after that. But I go intro, qualify, propose, negotiate, close. Right? Mm -hmm. Intro. Hi, I'm Scott from Eagle Dream. You know, we do cloud architecture and software development. Qualify. Have you ever used somebody outside before? Do you have any idea sort of like what you want to accomplish? Who else are you talking to? Why did you choose them? What's your timeline? What's your budget? Right? Propose. Okay, if you give me $10, I will give you three sandwiches. Negotiate. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I, I can get it for you by the end of the month, but, you know, you'll have to give me more money. And close, ask for the business. Well, the qualify right. step, no matter what anybody says, is the most important step. And that's, that qualification is where you start figuring out what's your pitch. Yeah. And this, this is so fundamental to sales. Um, and, and, and so the, 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 the funnel is, and so is the other thing that you were just talking about that I'd love to go a little deeper on the, um, the closed versus open-ended questions. I, sometimes I feel like we, we bat that term around. Can you, can you give some examples of, of closed questions and versus I mean, the open-ended ones that you were giving, that you were giving us? Yeah. The one that bothers me probably the most is, so you're familiar with our product? Yes. <laughs> like, like, like the potential it's like this beautiful thing, this piece of art, and then you just watch it get smashed on the sidewalk. Like, hey, you see how great this could have gone? And now I'm going to ruin it. Um, so you're familiar with my product is a terrible closed-ended question. They, they can only say one of two things, right? Yes or no. And they'll give you a long version of either one, which means you just used up an awful lot of clock on a closed-ended question. Yeah. Um, another closed ended question is, uh, is this something that you think will solve your problem? Right? Because what you've done is you've, you know, in a lot of step close sort of like garden path kind of, uh, processes, you know, you ask the customer, what is it that keeps you up at night? Which by the way, we need to retire that one. Um, and then you go to like, well, are you aware of this thing we do? And then do you think my answer satisfies? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get people to firm yeses and build yes momentum right. so that they can like just, you know, whip out a pocket contract. You buy! And that's never going to go that way in the big leagues. Like with real clients that have real spend, they've seen that fish before and you are wasting your time and frankly insulting their intelligence. It's better yeah. to say, Tell me what you understand about my product. God, I love that question. Tell me what you understand about what we do. Such a good question. It's, I mean, Hall of Fame. Tell me why, um, tell, tell me why we're having this conversation today. Why did you take my meeting today? What made you interested in this? I'm uh, curious why, why you let us be one of the respondents. I love the I'm word. I love curious. I love curious is a great word. Great um, word. And, and, and again, like part of the problem, 
and, and I'm going to talk to like business owners and you know sort of like senior execs right now. Part of the problem why this doesn't happen is we have sort of fetishized cost containment in the sales department to the point where you bring in people who have no reason to be confident and then you expect them to act confident in a convincing way, right? We, we all know about that, like hire three 23-year-olds, fire two of them, right? Like, like that person, no disrespect to them, it's not their fault, right? Has no reason to be legitimately organically confident and these things that you and I are talking about right now require a certain command of your profession. They require a certain confidence. Right. And that person should totally be junioring under somebody else. And, you know, you, you, you play the cards you have in your hand. Sometimes you just have to fake it. You know? Absolutely. But I promise these questions are way better than that hard track close that brings them to, you know, yes, yes, definitely. And then you whip out your pocket contract. It's full boat plus 20%. You know, they, when you really get to know this job, you learn to love it but you have to actually be curious and be willing to be vulnerable and be a human and think about the other person's motivation and frankly, be a really good organized individual who understands how to juggle flaming chainsaws all day long. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think of, uh, and I, I think this is because there, there are certain training methodologies that have trained people to do this, but I think of a, an open-ended, a closed-ended question I think of as something that can be answered with a yes or no. And an open-ended question is something that you, they would need two or three sentences to describe. So it's the difference between saying, um, am I here today because you're interested in XYZ product versus yes. I'm, cur I'm, cu I'm curious why you took this meeting, which is saying the same thing, but one, they're going to have to answer with three sentences and actually give you meaningful information. And the other the closed-ended one is just going to be a yes or no. Now, let me employ our empathy again. Ready? If you're a customer and you're not suspicious of a closed-ended question, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Because a closed-ended question to a customer is a trap. They've been through this before, right? If you're asking a customer a closed-ended question, then they know that you have logic loaded into either answer. You have a response rebuttal tree in your head of what you're going to do if they say yes and what they what you're going to do if they say no and shields are up and human contact is at a minimum you're not hearing about this person's true inner journey what you're hearing about is them protecting their squishy bits from you the evil interloper who has come to hang them on their own words mm -hmm. absolutely so i've 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 heard earlier you mentioned urgency Mm -hmm. how how can salespeople create urgency when they're giving a pitch uh, by using emotions in the way because that success that motivation that we were talking about has to be mm -hmm. sufficiently interesting to you the buyer right mm -hmm. i'm trying to unlock that same thing we were talking about like when i give a seminar where i i know what i want them to say when they're pushing the push bar right and whatever they say has to be good enough that it actually brightens their day or, or saves them so much time or you know, makes them look good at work, gives them a win when they need one, those kinds of things, right? You create urgency by creating wins, right? If we are being like back to basics, like we seem to be, right? 
then we have to get back to people don't buy things to lose money or lose time on them, right? <laughs> they buy things right. because they're because it's it's like machine thinking, right? It's it's a way of getting more use out of the same amount of energy, right? Well, and, and earlier you mentioned, you know, salespeople are always worried about having their time wasted, you know, by someone jerking their chain along. And yeah. I, I, I've always felt like, you know, executives and, and buyers, anyone important enough to be buying something from you, they're not jerking your chain along. They're, they're just real no. busy, right? Like no one's got the time to be like, <laughs> to take <laughs> fake meetings. Yeah, I'm going to have this sales guy give me this. Give this me this is going to be so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's going to pitch me and I'm going to laugh because I'm never buying this. I'm just having everything. I'm just going to make him sit there and square. <laughs> um, so a thousand years ago before the earth cooled and I was selling cars, um, and I did. I was like 19 years old. Um, started a business with some friends. The business failed. I needed a gig and I, and I started selling cars. And it may very well be like my favorite thing I ever did, right? I mean, it's not the most lucrative thing I ever did, but it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, who wouldn't love selling cars? Like brand new cool cars. And like every time there's a new one, you get to drive it. Like, and I was young too. So I mean, like, let's face it. I wasn't buying too many new cars on my own. Um, but they have this very sort of like blunt force wisdom and it's nobody ever showed up on a car lot by accident. <laughs> you know, like nobody just wanders in there and be like, Hey guys, I don't know. I just needed a place to hang out because there's this fear of us car salesmen hectoring you and bothering you and you know, whatever. I mean, especially when you think about some of the old nightmares of that business, like, my, my friend Jack, you know, rest in peace, he, uh, he was like one of my mentors. And um, he told me in the 70s, he worked for a dealership. He was like the finance, the loan guy, right? And they used to make the salesman greet you at the sidewalk, shake your hand, ask to see the keys of your car. And people do what you tell them to do. This is just a fact. Like people do what you tell them to do. They, they treat you the way you tell them to treat you. People will just hand over their keys thinking, oh, he's trying to appraise the car or he went, or he's going to move it or whatever. And then they whip the keys to the roof of the, of the dealership. Real talk. This happened. I, I could tell you the name of the dealership. And they would say, and they'd go, you're not going to need those anymore. <laughs> and the one, and the ones that didn't call the cops or throw a punch were buyers. <laughs> That's, that's, that's called qualification, I guess, so that, in the 70s. Crazy <laughs> enough, Steve, I agree with you. Like, in a weird yabba-dabba-doo way, that was qualification. And, um, you know, nobody goes and takes a meeting with, you know, the regional sales manager for, you know, safety glass because they have nothing better to do. Nobody takes a meeting with the vending machine person you know, to fill up their Tuesday. So why are you in the room? Well, because they're already pretty committed. And is this a way that people talk themselves out of a, a, a deal? Is this how salespeople talk themselves out of a deal? Or, or is that, are there other ways they do that? People talk themselves out of deals by talking. Like the, the number one thing that they do is they make the mistake of thinking, again, the customer wants the what. Is this just never-ending train of, 
of words because they're they're sure that there's some combination of nouns, adjectives, and verbs that is going to create a transaction, right? And then when they get to the end and nothing happens, they're like, "Oh, that guy wasn't for real. Oh, those people weren't going to buy anything anyway." And um, that's just sloppy thinking. They talk too much because they're focusing on the what. And there's all if you focus on what, there's a lot to say. Right? Go back to those cars, right? Well, it's, it's got four cylinders. It's got eight airbags. It's got 16-inch wheels. It's got a CD player. It's got a sunroof. It's got a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. I can talk what all day long. Or I can tell you that it's the hottest-looking car you're ever going to own. Huge. Difference. I like the second one. I yeah. like the second one if I can get away with it. Huge difference. I, I, th this is a a way that a salesperson can truly improve their pitch. Do you, do you have other thoughts on how salespeople can improve their pitch or exercises that they could, they could go through? I'll give you one pitch? more exercise that I'm a huge fan of and all credit to uh, Biz Stone and Jack Dorsey, the founders of Twitter for giving me this idea because all of a sudden I realized that I sounded much smarter on Twitter than I do in real life. <laughs> and it's because Twitter forces you to be shorter in your communication and brevity is legitimately like the nicest thing you could do. For you. Right. Get to the point. I forget one of my favorite old quotes and I should know who to attribute it to is I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Brevity shows craftsmanship. Brevity shows that you put thought into this. Right. So what I like to do is I like to tell people like, okay, if we can agree that what the customer wants is not just an ad nauseum recounting of like every peacock feather that your business has and every widget, you know, that they can custom order and all those kinds of things. I like to say, write down your existing pitch. Okay. Just take, sit down and say, okay, you don't know anything about somebody, but they ask you, Hey, pitch me on your product. Take whatever you would say in that situation, write it down on a piece of paper. And then I want you to really honestly proofread, stare, edit, be ruthless, right? What doesn't need to be in there? And then I want you, once you get to the end of that and you feel like you've got it, imagine I'm standing there in the room forcing you to cut 20% of the words out of what you've already written. Okay? It's important that you... Blame somebody else for this because your natural reaction will be to go, oh, Scott didn't mean that sincerely. He's just giving me a guideline. He, I don't have to do the whole exercise. I get the point. No, you don't. And I'm giving you instructions. Do it this way. It'll go great. Okay. <laughs> Write it down. Beat it to death. Get it to the point where you feel it's super tight. And then imagine you're on Twitter or imagine I'm standing in your kitchen and you have to cut 20% of the words out of what you've already trimmed down. And you're going to say, oh, but really important things are left out. No, they're not. What you're taking out is stuff for later. You can distill your core value down to 10 words, eight words. Simple, simple. Everything else is what goes into follow-up questions. Now, I promise you we talk a little bit about the inevitable question, but we never actually did. So let's use this moment right now to, to, to shoehorn that in. Okay. Whenever I give an initial pitch, 
I know that I'm not going to answer every question, and I have made my peace with that, and I see it as a feature, not a bug. So let's, let's use Eagle Dream because I'm doing it a lot lately. I like to say, Eagle Dream is one of AWS's favorite partners worldwide. We've done some amazing products or projects, some of which you've probably heard of. What's the inevitable question that comes out of that? What like the, what? what? Yeah, what projects? <laughs> I've heard of them, great. <laughs> what, so here's what happened. I talked, I shut up, I gave you the floor, and you gave it back to me. So powerful. And it makes it a conversation. It's vampirism. It's vampirism, okay? I can't come into your house unless you invite me, okay? And you just invited me in. <laughs> but you asked because you wanted to know, and you still know some really important things. We're AWS's, you know, go-to partner, right? That's great information. I didn't skimp. I didn't tell you, like, a half-truth or a part of a piece of information. I told you something huge. Why can't that be enough? And then I said, and we've done some projects, some of which I'm sure you've heard of. And then you, of course, have to scratch that itch. But I'm not bogarting the, the ball. I'm not like, you know, time of possession is not the problem here. I'm sharing. If you want to ask, great. If you don't, that's okay too. I'm going to live through it, right? But there's a really good chance that that information that I cut out of the initial draft will come out either in an inevitable question or in a follow-up question or in when they start taking mental ownership and they want to get a little bit more detail. That's the odds are on my side. Back to the whole thing about they didn't invite me in just to see if I wanted to hang out for an hour, right? The odds are on my side that I'll get to that other stuff. And that's why it's safe to cut those extra 20% of the words out, right? That Twitter mindset really did realize, make me realize how needlessly verbose some of my writing was and, and some of my pitches were. That's a very powerful strategy. I love it. Well, let's move into the next section, which is sales in 60 seconds, which is quick questions, quick answers. Um, what are the top mistakes salespeople make when creating an emotionally resonant pitch? Again, they try to talk too much. They watch the face and try to try to see whether or not the facial expression tells them to stop talking. Yeah, don't wait till people get bored. What, what are the most important skills or characteristics an outside salesperson should have? Good organization so that you can jump from one account to the other and good empathy so that you understand how it is that you can actually deliver a win. What should salespeople do when they experience a setback? Live in it. Don't run from it. You need to understand why it is that you're feeling it as a setback. Right, this job is not supposed to be easy. If if you do a great job, you're batting what twenty percent, thirty percent, right? Like, like if if something bothers you that much, you need to understand more about why it bothers you. And I think you'll probably learn a little bit more about how you prioritize your prospects and how you feel about your own professional development. It's probably deep wisdom hidden in what you just said for many aspects of life and development and becoming a better person is. Uh, Sit in your discomfort. Sit there and be in the emotional discomfort of, of your life and, and uh, just sit in it, know it, recognize it, and then, then learn, you can learn to deal with it. I had two enterprise sales reps as, as parents, right? 
And both of them had distinctly different styles. Um, my mother um, is, and again, President's Club, like, you know, all, all, the, all the accolades. My mother was really good at sort of uh, rolling with punches and sort of accepting that it's a messy organic thing. And she never took it, took anything too personally. My father, on the other hand, was an architect and a mechanic. Right. And I'm more like in the mechanic space. Right. I like to set up the Rube Goldberg machine, the dominoes. on, the, on the, And I like to see everything land perfectly. Um, and that was funny for me because there were times when I felt like him and there were times that I felt like her. But one of the things that I learned was like um, when they chose to take something personally, it was a choice. Absolutely. Um, Name one essential habit or trait that will lead to greater success in sales. The best answer is accountability. If you are, if you feel like you can wiggle out of accountability, you're going to fail at this job. And some people only have one sided accountability, which is to their sales organization customer be damned or they have it the other side which is only to the customer and then they leave their their team back at home with whatever problems they've created like you have to own accountability soup to nuts you can make a lot of money in two years and then leave you know and go terrorize some other sales team like <laughs> that's that's no way to live right the nomadic thing I don't think I don't think I could do that. Oh, when I when I see a resume from someone who's had five jobs in the last you know ten years, I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> but, but wait, let me push back on you on that. Um, jumping jobs in and of itself is not terrible because somewhere along the line, the employers stopped backing the employees, and you had to expect that that pendulum would swing the other way too, and the employees would start being a little bit more savage and, and opportunistic when things came along. Mm -hmm. But that's when you really have to employ those accountability questions about like how do how seriously do people take like their their involvement? Are you really running this or are you kind of just taking leads and letting them become orders? Right? Are you really like pushing people to meet deadlines or are you just rolling? Right? Is your paperwork hot garbage? <laughs> You know it is. You just, it's like 60% of us. That's why we do this job. Anyway. What's the greatest sales lesson you've ever learned over the years? A confused buyer never buys. I don't even remember who that was. That might be Zig Ziglar. That, that feels be, yeah. like Zig. It does. <laughs> but, a, but a confused buyer never buys. Um. So as an actionable takeaway for the field reps listening today, what should they do first to get started on making their sales pitch more emotionally riveting? I think what we were talking about, about the, uh, the, the Twitter brevity, whatnot, is a really good exercise for you to understand what's necessary and what's not necessary. It's a great place to start. Um, but for some people, um, being 
sensitive to the other person's goals and wins and whatnot may be very new to you. And you may just need to start flexing that muscle. Um, so if you're in an organization where uh, you've got a pretty good sense, like, you know, they're well-adjusted humans with a good sense of empathy, start with the Twitter one, right? If on the other hand, you're feeling like this is foreign to you, you've never heard of it before, you don't, you know, you're not 100% sure if anybody's going to support you, you need to start building that muscle right now because it is literally the most important one you have. Well, I'm going to try to summarize all the things that you've said today and all the wisdom you've dropped on us. So first, keep in mind, ask what your prospect is motivated by and think about what outcome you want to put into your prospect's mind. Ask prospects to mark the day on their calendar that they started using your product or solution so that they can track the results. No, that's badger feedback. That's for oh, you. Anybody, like one of these other people wants to use it, I suppose that's all right. But that was for you. Oh, okay. I thought it was great advice. Uh, I wrote it down. <laughs> well, I mean, they can have it, but it was for you. You know, you, like yeah. I bought you this gift. You can share it with the other kids in the neighborhood if you want to. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, uh, think of ways to give your prospects and customers success. Help them set a goal that they can reach so that they can have feelings of success. Create urgency by creating opportunities for wins for your customer. Features don't need to be in your pitch. Instead, pitch to people's sense of identity. Don't, don't tell me what, don't but do tell me why. So focus on the Focus on the why, not the what. And I, I think that's uh, one of the key lessons of today. Don't, don't just tell a prospect what your product is. Tell your prospects why they should do business with you. This is the emotionally resonant part of your pitch. Don't ask your prospect closed-ended questions like, so you're familiar with our product. God, I hate you even saying it out loud again. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you'll like these better. Ask your clients questions like, tell me why you're curious about our product. What is it like having your company as a client? When you buy a product, what does that process, what does that process look like? Brevity shows that you put thought into your pitch. So try the, try the Twitter pitch. Write down your existing pitch, or try Twitterizing your pitch, I guess I would say. Write I like down, that. Yeah. Write, write down your existing pitch, and then proofread and be ruthless and, and go over everything, and then make yourself cut an additional 20% out. Distill your message down to your core value and use as few words as possible, and then have everything else get covered in follow-up questions, in discussion. Share your value and give your prospect the floor in an open-ended way, and then leave it to them to ask more questions about the areas of value that they're attracted to. Some really powerful concepts in this that uh, 
to actually operationalize, you have to sit down and think and do homework, I think. Um, this is awesome. I to- promise you, it does become like breathing because it all makes sense. This machine is not, is not disparate parts. It is a fully functioning machine. It makes sense as a unit, right? Yeah. If you do these things, they all plug together, and then you don't have to ask yourself what to do. It will naturally just occur because one hands off to the other. So, Scott, where can our listeners read more or, or learn more about your work? How do they reach out to you? So, I have a blissfully short URL that I'm going to direct everyone to. <laughs> Those are in short supply these days. They really you want are. to go to www.scotm.ac. If you run it together and you look at it from a distance, it's Scott Mack with one T because, you know, I don't do anything the way everybody does it, including apparently spell Scott. So it's yeah. S-C-O-T-M dot A-C. That'll take you to what I call secret weapons for business, which is a, uh, it's a newsletter we do that uh, that covers tech strategy and entrepreneurship. And it really brings all these things together. Um, and, you know, you'll see anytime we do seminars, anytime that, uh, you know, coaching becomes available. I'm at capacity right now for coaching, but, you know, when that becomes available, that'll come back out on uh, the newsletter. Outstanding. Well, Scott, this has been a, well, Scott, with one T. There it is. <laughs> this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Um, if anyone knows other sales reps that would benefit from learning what Scott's taught us here, definitely forward this on to them. Um, please leave a rating on the podcast. That really helps uh, spread the word. He's not lying. That's a huge deal. Do that for him. It, it's, it's huge. Um, take care until next time, everybody.